Hello. British actor Nick Redding is possibly best known for his role as the tough but lovable East End cop PC Pete Ramsey in ITV's drama The Bill. But despite a successful and comfortable acting career, which included roles in Silent Witness, The Constant Gardener and Angels in America, he left the bright lights of London to found SAFE, Sponsored Arts for Education, a Kenyan NGO and UK charity that uses street theatre and community programmes to educate, inspire and deliver social change. Their campaigns include the eradication of the barbaric female genital cutting, or FGC, HIV AIDS, education on sexual reproduction, hygiene, water sanitation and violent extremism. Nick is speaking to me today from the foothills of Mount Kenya. So Nick Redding, welcome to Conversations with Peter Wood. Hi Peter, nice to see you. Look, Nick, it's a real pleasure to hear your voice again after so many years. I think it must have been 1988 when we last spoke, and it's certainly a long way from you treading the boards on the West End. Your safe campaigns cover some of the most divisive and in some cases dangerous areas, female genital mutilation, HIV, and the fallout from violent extremism, which has been on the increase in the past decade in East Africa. So tell us, how did it all begin? How did you end up doing this? Um, I, well, I was in Los Angeles because I was promoting a film called Croupier. Um, and uh, I was introduced to a Kenyan pediatrician who was an assistant professor at NYU. And he specialized in pediatric HIV. And he was being part funded by a friend of mine called Lee Blake, who did all the red hot um, uh, charity records for HIV, Red Hot and Blue, Red Hot and Dance. I don't know if you remember them. They were hugely successful. And she discovered that the initial um, album of Cole Porter covers had been accruing royalties. And she had identified Shafiq, who wanted to return to Mombasa, which was his hometown, and build a pediatric HIV unit in the public hospital to offer some of the services he was offering to mothers and children in New York. And, uh, and I was like, wow. Lee, this sounds amazing. And she said, oh, he's coming next week. Why don't you, you know, come in and, and, and say hello? So I got to meet him and I, and, you know, I, uh, we got on very well. I made a few good suggestions, which he liked during the meeting. And I started doing voluntary work for him, getting equipment for the laboratory. And, uh, and I managed to get about $25,000 worth of equipment by just blagging on the phone. And, uh, and then as I got to know him, I realized that, uh, you know, he was doing this enormous thing. And I said to him one day, I said, do you, I mean, Shafiq, do you want someone to come with you to Mombasa? And he was like, he said, wow, would you, would you come? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so I just thought I'd go for, you know, six months, build the clinic and then come back and pick up where I'd left off. But, um, I mean, there's a, you know, you go from Hollywood to a public hospital in Africa, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of things which are quite shocking. I mean, I'd traveled, I made a film in Nigeria with Bruce Beresford in 1990, and I'd spent about three or four months traveling through Africa alone. So I wasn't sort of an innocent or a sort of Western bleeding heart, but, but public hospitals, as I'm sure you know from Zimbabwe, um, uh, are, are pretty brutal places because it's care is dependent on people being able to come up with money and there's a lot of people particularly children who are left in the hospital with 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 very little care 
Um, so there were things that were shocking, but the thing that shocked me, I think the most, and actually made me very, very angry was the failure of public health education. So this is 2001 and we're, you know, we're at least two decades into the epidemic and we would have one smart, intelligent woman after another coming into the clinic and, and, and saying, how did I get this? And I think that was, uh, the sort of, the sort of spark. And I was like, well, What's our profession doing about this? You know, theatre and education, it's perfect. You've got, you know, people who are not keen on formal education. Um, I started asking around going, well, what, what's, what's, what are people doing about this? And people said, oh yeah, there's little plays about AIDS. I said, well, let's do a big play about AIDS. Let's find the best actors and put on a, put on a show. And let's talk about this. Cause there was, I mean, deafening silence around the issue and a lot of stigma. And then particularly at the coast, there's a lot of belief in witchcraft and superstition and curses. So it was, you know, you were fighting a lot of misinformation. So I went around, looked at, uh, at the theater groups around Mombasa and, uh, and found this group, some of whom I'm still working with 20 years later. And, uh, and we devised the play with Shafiq and other doctors from the hospitals and we went out on the road. And the response was overwhelming. Um, uh, from everybody, from the chiefs, from the heads of the women's groups, the clinicians, the public health officers, they all basically said, where have you people been? This is what we need the community to understand. And it wasn't rocket science. We went, you know, it was, we, we created a really powerful story, um, great characters. And, uh, and I think critically, we made people laugh. And when you make people laugh, they like you and they'll listen to what you have to say. And about um, almost 50% of the initial intake into the clinic, which was quite tricky at first because of all the shame around it, was people who came because they'd heard about the clinic through the performances. And, uh, and also what I loved about it was I was providing employment for some of the best young actors in Kenya. And, you know, uh, being an artist in Africa is, is challenging. And there's no governmental support. There's very little corporate support. So people have to sort of self-finance any project they do. So anything you can do to build up the, the arts community and infrastructure is, is hugely important. And that's where it started. And so the, I, I thought, well, I've done, I better raise a bit more money. And so I went, went off and raised more money and went back. And suddenly I, here I am 20 years later, still, still here. So it all started with HIV, but you also cover yeah. female genital mutilation, or I think more yeah. commonly known as female circumcision, isn't it? It's something that's widely. Well, it's, it's got a lot of different names. I'm so it, it's a very, it's a very the 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 the, the uh, issue around what to call it is very political, and it can cause a lot of anger. Um, uh, we made a decision at the beginning based on the so I'll, I'll tell you the genesis of it we 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 started in Mombasa with the HIV then the next thing people said well if this is so brilliant you've got to take this to the slums in Nairobi and so we formed safe gets the first one was safe Pwani, which means safe coast then we've created safe ghetto in the in the Nairobi slums and then I was invited to um, a ceremony in the Loiter Hills, which is a very remote part of Kenya, which is a Maasai community, not far from the Maasai Mara, but completely um, undeveloped, no tourism, um, an extraordinary place. And uh, I was invited to the graduation of the um, 
Morans to junior elders. And the uh, school teacher we were assigned to um, was desperate to do some HIV education in his community. So we started, I didn't want to use traditional um, theater, Western style theater. So we, we created a performance based on Maasai song um, all around HIV, Maasai song and story, adapting traditional tales, using traditional songs. And Sarah Tanoy, who was the project manager we brought in to work alongside Amos, after about a year and seeing how effective it was as an HIV education tool, said, Nick, can we do something about FGC, which is what we call it, female genital cutting. Um, and uh, I was a bit like, oh my God, I, I don't even know. Isn't that what you can't even talk about? Is it? Mm. And so it took us, I think that was, it took us two years to get permission to be able to um, perform live because it's such a, it's such a um, taboo subject to talk about publicly. It's something that's done and accepted. All right. So yeah. So um, Amos, I mean, God bless him because it's he's a you know he's a he's a he's a very traditional Maasai man, and he had to keep bringing it up at meetings, and they'd be like, Amos, what are you doing? This is a woman's issue, and he'd say, but we need your permission and we need to talk about it and we have to get your permission. And it was two years of backwards and forwards of this. And they finally said, okay, you can talk about it, but if it goes wrong, it's nothing to do with us, was sort of the attitude. And so we, we decided to call it FGC, female genital cutting. Well, we didn't, Sarah and the, and the women in the team, because it's a, it's a more neutral term. And, and, um, FGC is a cultural norm so don't underestimate a cultural norm and I the, the way I always describe it is you know if, if I talk about the drink and drug culture in Europe to Maasai they go what your young people go out and they drink and they take drugs and they get into cars and they overdose or they crash their cars they're like but you are killing your young people. So it's our cultural norm. We see sort of going out and partying as a, as a rite of passage um, and it's accepted. Likewise, the FGC, which it is mutilation, there's no question it is mutilation, but it is a cultural norm. So when you want to discuss it, quite provocative. Mutilation is an English word that Maasai people know because of ritual mutila mutilation through um, uh, witchcraft and so it's a, it, they're, they're, it's a word that they are familiar with. So but so it's very so like when, when you were mutilated and when you're when you plan to mutilate your daughter is a very provocative way of talking this is is what Sarah said and she said I would much rather call it FGC a female genital cutting which is so it's like when you were cut so if you cut your daughter it's a it's you know you have to be respectful i mean it's a it's an incredibly complex issue and so i mean we've had the most extra i mean incredible success with this program it was there was a hundred percent of women were undergoing type 2 circumcision in 2008 when we when sarah first proposed to this and type 2 of the clitoris, the labia majora, and the um, the resulting wound is is so severe, they tie a leg 
to the roof of the hut so that the girl is unable to put her legs together. So it, it prevents bad scarring, which of course is one of the big problems in pregnant in labor and delivery. Um, but of course it can cause excessive bleeding, which is what Sarah herself nearly died from. Um, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's brutal. And now I think um, we have, we've got to a point where about 30% of the community are doing no cut at all and are doing the alternate rite of passage. And about 60% are doing a very small symbolic cut or sometimes we think type one, which is just the, just the removal of the clitoris, um, which of course is still unacceptable and mutilation. But as Sarah says to me, when I'm upset about people doing it, she says, well, Nick, it's better. So it's a step, we hope, although it's something we can't uh, possibly sanction, of course. And then there's about five to 10% of the community, mostly in the most remote areas, um, who are still doing the full cut, which was 100% um, in 2008. So it, it, it's, it's, it's one of the great successes of, 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 of SAFE. Um, and I think the reason for it, well, first of all, the cultural appropriateness of our intervention I think was critical so we we create we created a performance where there was a group of men and women singing one Maasai song that was in favor of FGC and then a group of men and women singing one song that was against the FGC and of course they had the best song and the best singers but they would compete it was like battle of the bands grabbing the microphones and they're singing you know you know, two different, two different, very traditional Maasai songs, but all the lyric, the traditionals are saying, this is how you become a woman. You will never be, no man will take you as, um, uh, as a bride. You will be chased out of your community. And while the other people are saying, you know, we have to, and the message of it was not, it was that we, sh you should, we just need to talk about this. So we weren't trying to do whatever your opinion was in the audience, your opinion was represented on stage. But the end of the message, the people who wouldn't come over to the other side was like, well, let's just talk about this. So it was culturally respect, uh, appropriate, it was respectful, and it was non-judgmental. Uh, you know, with them, we would obviously we had workshops with the elders, with the circumcisers, with the older women, with the Morans, the warriors. And then we created a performance group amongst the warriors themselves who were then singing about wanting to marry an uncut girl, um, wanting you know, to stop the harming of their sisters. So it, it, it allowed us to sort of slowly <laughs> open a door to a debate um, which has allowed this change to happen. Well, it seems like you're having incredible success. I mean, can you tell us about one or two cases that you're particularly proud of? Well, I suppose in, in Loiter, you know, we, we, we've been able to support a lot of girls um, uh, through, the, through the journey to not being cut. Um, uh, we've been able to find sponsorship for many of them to complete their education. Um, so all those girls, you know, every time you, you see someone who's thriving, um, uh, who's avoided the cut, I mean, it's, a, it's, that's, that's a, an, an extraordinary, um, uh, thing to see and, and something that we're all immeasurably proud of in SAFE. And Nick, Daniel Craig and Lily Cole are patrons. How did you get them involved? And are they very, 
Are they very hands-on? Well, yeah, I mean, Daniel's a, a, an old friend of mine, so that was that was quite an easy <laughs> hook, and he's been fantastic. I mean, when he um, when he first got Bond, he um, bought us our first uh, safe bus with a with a pullout stage, um, and uh, he's done. You know, he's raised us a lot of money um, over the years, and he's also a, a, a great support to me in this as a, as a mate and sort of encouraging me to do it. Um, Lily, I actually met out here. Um, she's just she's just a remarkable um, woman, and um, she's so smart. She and she just loved what we were doing. So um, I asked her if she'd become a patron, and she said yes. Um, she very much wants to come out and do uh, something very hands-on, and she loves and she loves what we do, which is a, a wonderful thing. And uh, and I hope very much she wants to come and do something here. So I hope very much to get her out here at some point once all this pandemic has been knocked back into touch. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nick, can you tell us uh, what other programs Safe cover? Um, we now we have sort of four programs: Safe Pwani in Mombasa, Safe Ghetto in the Nairobi slums, Safe Ma, which is the Loiter company, and the latest is up that way in the north, um, Safe Samburu with the Samburu. And in the Samburu, we work on environmental protection, um, HIV, and uh, FGC. Um, in Loiter, the same, and in Mombasa, we um, have a big program on clean water, which has run for about since 2011, so 10 years. Uh, we're we're very by what's happening in Somalia. There's a lot of anger about what's happening in Somalia, and uh, and there is um, quite a lot of Al Shabab activity in Kenya. Um, the Kenyan uh, army has invaded south the, the south of Somalia, and there's a lot of anger there. So I mean, I think uh, you, I'm sure you remember the Westgate Mall attack. We also had the Garissa University attack, which was completely heartbreaking because they rounded up the students and shot them and it was a university where um, because of its location it was a cheaper university so most of the students there were first the first people in their family to go into tertiary education people had sold land or livestock in order to get them there and there were I think about 150 um, uh, students murdered um, in that attack so it's something that we feel very keenly but it was something that I was quite reluctant to take on. And Ali Malazzo, who's our project manager in Mombasa, we were having a meeting about it and people were like, well, I don't want to put myself at risk here. And he said, look, Nick, there is, this is affecting everything we do. It's affecting our environment program. It's affecting our HIV program. And he said, there is a minority voice that is silencing the majority Muslim voice of Mombasa. And we have a duty of care to the communities we've served to raise that voice. And we were all like, okay, <laughs> so we'll take it on. So we, um, you know, cause it's, it's, it's an area you do feel like, Oof. but of course performance, you know, we're, we're, we made a film called Watatu, which has done extremely well. And uh, it's, it was devised with a lot of young people who um, the lead actor had, had been um, partially radicalized himself. And it was something he, he very much wanted to talk about. And so it's about providing an alternative narrative to the one mm. given um, by Al-Shabaab, but also the, um, 
to provide, you know, one of the things we were looking at is how to engage young people. How as family members do you engage young people? And also to raise the voice of people's discrimination. And, you know, the, the, the coastal region was until independence as separately managed. Um, and it's, it's majority Muslim, but there is great discrimination there. I mean, if people going for jobs there, if they're called Mohammed Saeed Rashid, um, they're much less likely to get an interview than if they're called Daniel Karanja, um, which is a very Kikuyu name. And so there is discrimination, particularly in the big hotels. They feel that it's all this clash between the Wabara and Wapwani. Um, Wapwani are people of the coast, Wabara are people of the hills. And Wabara can be born at the coast, schooled at the coast, work at the coast, but they're still seen as outsiders. So this, this, this is something that needs to be, um, we'd done before we did took on um, the radicalization work, we'd actually been looking at this, this conflict in, in particularly in light of the post-election violence, because a lot of um, upcountry people were targeted in the post-election violence in 2008. So, um, and you know, there's, there's, there, there are you know, genuine problems that people have. People have lived on land for generations at the coast and they cannot get a title deed. But uh, some from up country will buy the plot next door and the title. So this causes a lot of resentment. So part of what we were, were trying to do was to raise the, uh, the grievances that people had and give voice to that because I think a lot of people become radicalized because they feel they're not being listened to. And the, the film is remarkable as an educational tool. I mean, you go in, um, if you go into an area and you say to your chief, you know, we want to work with young people at risk of radicalization, the chief will always want to show you the good side of his area. So they'll bring in all these bright young things who maybe are unemployed and, you know, struggling, but there's, there's no way they're going to be radicalized. They watch the film and they go, we know who you should meet because they love the film. And then they bring in the next group of youth who are the ones who are at risk. And they'll come in really sort of locked down, resentful. Um, and then they watch the film and they go, oh, that's us. That's our story. And then they start talking. And by the end of a day's workshop, they're talking about how else they could do, what they could do to build up their community, income generating schemes. That are, and it's about, being listened to i mean it's 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 challenging as, as an issue but um but i think it's uh it's it's something that I'm, I'm i'm very proud of because it took real courage from the staff to tackle an issue like this because you do feel you're making yourself potentially a target or vulnerable but it is something that i think has helped a lot of people so, Nick, that's absolutely incredible. And if people want to get involved or donate or simply find out more about SAFE, they can go to safekenya.org. Yeah, indeed now, they can. Now, before we go, Nick, do you ever miss the excitement of the West End or the set of the bill? Or is that just another world? <laughs> I know. Funnily enough, I, 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 I didn't at all. People used to ask me this when I started and I was like, nah. I have to say now, um, I, I do have a slight sort of, I mean, I do little bits and pieces. Um, uh, I did a, I did, have you heard of that um, play White Rabbit, Red Rabbit? Absolutely. Uh, Iranian yeah. Play? Yeah. 
um, Nassim Salanam Sulemanpour, and uh, he um, the, it was done here, and I was asked to do it in Nairobi, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's a it's this extraordinary piece about identity, about uh, isolation, and about um, time and 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 artistry, and but you you're given the script in a brown envelope and you get up on stage and then you perform. And, uh, and of course it's great because I, you know, I'm, I'm so busy. I don't have time to kind of go into rehearsals. Um, and it was really, really fun. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, and I've done a few, I've done a few, um, you know, I went down and did a little piece in Blood Diamond and I did Constant Gardener, which of course things have come through. So I've kept my hand in, but yeah, I know sometimes I think, oh, it'd be nice to do a play. <laughs> although, know, and, uh, although not now during COVID. So, so you know, maybe I, maybe I will. Maybe, I, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do a few bits and bobs. Well, you're still young enough to start treading the boards again and becoming another national treasure. <laughs> well, no. you know, Ramsey. <laughs> you return to Ramsey. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I know. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the accent in the bill, but uh, we haven't got time. So, look, on that okay. note, I think we need to end. Nick Redding, I wish yeah. you all the best in your work. Right. You, you are a local hero. Thank you for joining us on Conversations with Peter Wood. It's been a great pleasure, Peter. All right. Bye. Well, that's all for now, but if you enjoyed listening to that podcast, you might also find my book, Mud Between Your Toes, faintly amusing. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find both series one and two of my podcasts on a plethora of platforms, from direct links on my Mud Between Your Toes Facebook page to apps such as Podbean, Apple Music, iTunes Store, Spotify Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, and Google Podcasts. So don't miss out on my next episode. Goodbye.